I feel like as we hire, you need to be looking for people who aren't just talented, but passionate and someone that you're interested in exciting and working alongside, especially for a long, long time. That's Chris Mefford, executive leader, author, and business coach on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. I'm Larry Gates. And I am Armin Asadi. And my friend Armin and I are here to help inspire you to put your faith to work, bring your bold idea to life. And uh, we want to do that with another guest interview today. We have Chris Mefford joining us. Chris is a business coach and author of the book, Hiring and Firing for Leaders in a Hurry. That's pretty much all of us, right? (laughs) (laughs) If you're in business, you're usually in a hurry. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He worked with Dave Ramsey, and he's coached leaders as part of the Entra Leadership Programs. He was Senior Vice President for Dr. Henry Cloud Productions and co-host of his podcast at Leadership University. And he is the current chief marketing officer for the Rock Church in San Diego. That's the 19th largest church in America. And so Chris has a lot to say about working in the the halls of leadership, but also working with teams and getting teams to perform. And so we want to welcome to the podcast, Chris Mefford. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so good to have you as well. Now, we want to talk with you about how to create a bold team for your bold idea. But, you know, before we dive into that topic, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what's, you know, if I met one of your best friends, what would be the first thing that they would tell me about you? Oh, um, that I don't take myself or life too seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, I'm one of these guys that uh, is probably too transparent with everyone around me and um, and that I just enjoy life and love it. You know, I take what I do very seriously, but I just don't take myself. And so when I run into people that uh, tend to be very serious and focused, uh, we don't tend to hang out very long together because we just kind of rub each other the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you're, you're, you're a guy that puts it right out there. Yeah, you know, and as we get into it, I'm going to tell you that, that I've turned that into a pretty great um, experience for how to lead and hire and fire, not to jump into a segue there. But, uh, you know, I find when I'm transparent, even to a fault, my team starts to become transparent and uh, they start to uh, share things that uh, they normally wouldn't or might be too embarrassed to to admit on their own. And uh, we start to grow and uh, we start to also avoid a lot of problems because the, they're more willing to kind of share when they see that I am. Well, it gets everybody yeah. a little bit more relaxed. So have you always been that way or how did you develop the skill of Yeah, I think I always have been. You know, my mom's that way. Um, and, you know, I still laugh at how blatantly transparent she is about everything. Um, and I'd like to think I'm not quite that transparent, but uh, I think it's just genetic. Who knows? So tell us about your mom. Tell us about your growing up. Did you... Uh, did you become a Christian at a young age or what was your faith journey like? Oh, I'll tell you, um, this is such a fun story to tell. Uh, I was a Christian at a young age, I think. You know, I, I, don't, I didn't have this uh, conversion on the road like Paul did. Um, my parents were divorced when I was little and my mom was a public school teacher. So around the age of five or six, um, during the summer, um, there was I have an identical twin brother and a sister. And we were all about, um, my sister was about three years older than me. And... Uh, my mom would start to get stressed and overwhelmed in the summer uh, because she had it off and we had it off and, you know, just too much time together can wear a person down. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know. Now, tell us where you were growing up at. Where, where were you? 
Springfield, Ohio. Okay, all right. Keep going. I, sort of right in the heart uh, of it all. Me and John Legend from the same hometown, making right. it big. Um, and uh, uh, and so she would put us in vacation Bible school in the evenings or, or during the daytimes or wherever it might be. And so, you know, a lot of kids did vacation Bible school, but my mom got serious about it. And she put us in vacation Bible school every week. So I was at the Catholic church vacation Bible school. I was at the <laughs> Methodist church. I was at the, you know, probably the Jewish synagogue. I mean, I was just all over at, uh, and you know, I got Jesus on me in, in a variety of different ways um, <laughs> and different things. And, uh, and we did that. It felt like, you know, my entire summers growing up was me in the evenings going to vacation Bible school. And it was just, it was just, you know, I'm supposed to follow this guy. And it was probably in college when I got really serious about my faith. But uh, when people ask me, you know, what my ultimate, you know, what denomination are you? I'm like, I still to this day, I'm like, you know, I don't really have one specific, you know, I, I focus on loving Jesus <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and then let's just uh, move on from there. You're a denominational mutt. Right, right. <laughs> I, and also, I wasn't very artistic and creative, like as far as a drawer or a painter. And a lot of that, that vacation Bible school for kids is loaded with that kind of craft stuff. So it All was right. a challenge for me. And where did you go to school? You got your MBA. Where did you get that? At the University of Windsor, at the Odette School of Business. I married a Canadian. And so I was living up in Canada and I went to the University of Windsor, which is in Ontario. Great. And then, so from there, you made your way somehow to work with some of the most notable leaders on the planet, you know, Dave Ramsey and Henry Cloud and others. How, how did you get from there to working with those guys? Well, I, um, I had gone back to grad school and got my MBA and started my own advertising agency. And uh, I ended up at a conference with my church at some point and we were gonna do a building project. And our pastor said, hey, there's a guy down in Nashville who can sort of teach you how to uh, do a building project without going into debt. And so we went down there. I didn't know anything about Dave Ramsey. And uh, I went down for this conference. And uh, as it turned out, they were looking for a director of marketing for all their events and national operations. And uh, I was like, wow, that sounds like a cool job. And, you know, I had had my, both our kids had been born in Canada, but I was ready after about 10 years to move back to the United States. And uh, my family was all there and just uh, sort of start a life down here. And God just opened up the doors and I ended up there. They said, hey, it's really long hiring process. And so I said, that's fine. I wasn't really here looking for a job. And, uh, you know, I, I called them on Monday and on Tuesday, they called me back. And on the following Friday, they were flying me and my wife down for an interview. That, and, so that's uh, a long hiring process? <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that, they all say that and I laugh because it was like two weeks. And uh, I was like to think that I was such a highly skilled person. They wanted me immediately, but I, I don't think that was it. I think they were, they'd had this position open for about three or four years. And, uh, you know, they, were, they weren't going to settle on just hiring anybody. And so I was very fortunate to kind of, you know, check all the boxes they needed. And uh, so I went down there and just started learning and, and developing. And I was growing as the company was growing. When I started, we had like 120 employees. And when I left, we had just a little over 600. And so uh, we were continuing to grow and grow and grow. And in the middle of it all, we started developing these events and traveling all over the country. And Dave wanted to branch out. And he didn't want to do all this stuff just on his own. So I started reaching out to some of these authors and, and speakers and just became really good friends with them. Um, over the years. And uh, that's sort of how I ended up, you know, working with Henry and working with Meg Meeker and, and Christian comedian uh, Michael Jr. And, and John Christ and John Acuff. And, uh, you know, became really, really great friends with most all of these people. And I uh, just feel so blessed to have had them be a part of my life. Yeah, that's great. 
Well, even outside maybe the circle of people that you just talked about, but who's been the most influential leader for you personally? Outside of that, I would say... Well, even including or outside, however you want to... You know, maybe I'll cheat with this answer, and I won't specifically say someone, but I feel like the the biggest opportunity I've had for growth is how passionate I got about reading Mm. and reading books and uh, growing and learning. Um, I feel like I want to thank every single author who's ever uh, spoken into my life about anything in any of their books, uh, because I feel like that's really been one of the major catalysts of my success over the years is um, not just sometimes being the most well-read person in the room, which I don't know if I am or not, but it sometimes feels that way because of the opportunities I, I get as a result of some of the information I share. Uh, but it's also kept me hungry and thirsty for continuing to grow and develop myself and wanting to instill that in my teams. How does your reading habit unfold? How, how do you do that? Well, you know what? Um, it's funny because I hate to read. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it makes and that so, question uh, even more interesting. <laughs> yeah, there, the, the, the plot thickens. Um, no, you know, I, to sit down and read, is just, it was never my thing. I was kind of a guy on the go. I wanted to, you know, run. I wanted to go to the gym. I wanted to, you know, do other things. And I stumbled on, as many probably of your listeners have stumbled on at some point, audible.com back in 2007, you know, almost 11 years ago. And uh, I just started crushing through books, listening to them. And, uh, you know, everything that was on the top list, uh, you know, I would just knock it out. You know, I could, I could throw a book down in, in about every four or five days. And I just started doing that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people set this goal to read, you know, one book a month. And, you know, I was, I was doing 12 books a month um, sometimes just listening to the different styles and, and different things that were going on. And it, it got pretty focused on intention, on development books and business books and biographies. And so I've, I've forced myself to throw in some nonfiction or some fiction rather uh, every third book just to kind of keep myself from uh, overdoing it and sort of relaxing and not always having to uh, have my mind running at a million miles an hour trying to think about how I could implement this or do this or teach that. But uh, so I love to listen to books which is great for people who listen to podcasts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a it's a very efficient way to do it. I've just become more appreciative of reading fiction. I have not been a fiction reader. I've gener- generally only read nonfiction. But I've read I read a nonfiction book that talked about how your brain literally changes especially in narrative form that uh, literature and and fiction provides. Hey, let's so let's let's pivot now and talk about the book that you did write. Uh, hiring and firing for leaders in a hurry. Now, there's something about this idea of doing something so essential as hiring and firing and and orient it toward leaders in a hurry. So so what is the kind of central uh, hurry-up message that you want leaders to catch? Well, you know, I feel like all leaders are in a hurry. And, uh, you know, as a leader myself, I, I could never get to where I needed to be fast enough or what I wanted to achieve fast enough for the projects we were working on, get them done quick enough. Um, and so I, I sort of, that's sort of a, a nod to that kind of leadership. You know, we're all in this hurry to get things done. And so uh, it's basically, hey, this doesn't have to be a process where you need to spend two years apprenticing uh, with an HR director. There are steps that every single person can take uh, to increase and develop the quality of the candidates that apply and to make sure you get the right people um, on your team. And so I got passionate about that. I actually fell into it. I didn't realize that I had a skill for this. Um, and I started hiring and I hired over 100 people. And you know, people started, you know, taking me to lunch or asking me to sort of step, could you sort of teach the company and be on a panel, tell people what you do? And it just never struck me that what I did was unique. 
um, until I started being asked to sort of say, hey, what do you do that's so specific and so um, useful? Where do you find it? Why do you always get great candidates? And uh, how do you always get these quality teams? And, you know, when I took over a department once, uh, it was miserable. People in the company had actually started to hire people to do what my people, my department was supposed to do. Um, because they just didn't want to work with us, and uh, <laughs> wow. and and it's probably this is probably one of my proudest moments professionally. Is is I was um, meeting with an architect. We were building, getting ready to build a new building, and the architect was meeting with all of the VPs to kind of discuss where that we needed to be in the building, what some of our needs would be. And she said, "Oh, you're you're the guy that runs that department. You're the famous guy." And I said, "Famous? What do you mean?" She said, "Well, everybody so far that we met wants to be next to your team," and. Um, you know, after wow. working there for 10 years, that I mean, I'm, I almost had to leave the room because, you know, knowing where we had started and we were at, it was just, you know, it blew me away. It was just, I never expected that. What did you do to be, become that kind of leader in that kind of team, that kind of department? Well, you know, I, I mentioned it at the start, you know, as I looked back on it, I think some of the things that I did was where that I was really transparent with the team. I was, I was transparent with, here's who I am. I'm not perfect and I need your help. Um, and I also set real clear goals and saying, hey, here's where we're headed. You know, are you, are you in or are you out? Are you, are you, are you gonna get on this wagon with me um, or are you not? And some people left um, and some people had to be helped to leave because they didn't like that there was this new transition. They, they were very comfortable in where they were at. And so I think part of the reason I had success was you know, I saw that goal and that mission and I said, I'm going to get there. And I had to learn a lot along the way to get there. You know, I had to learn that, you know, I want to succeed and, and grow and, and, and sort of win more than I wanted you just to like me. You know, I wanted friends, but not at the expense of holding everybody back that I was trying to move ahead and, and accomplishing our own goals. And so, when I sort of got that in my mind, you know, I was able to kind of get the wrong people out and get the right people in. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that answers your question specifically, but uh, I feel like being transparent, being honest with them. And there's a point where we were really struggling financially in this one area and we couldn't get it. And I was going down and meeting with our CFO and he was saying, you know, you're missing your budget here again, you're missing it again. And so I had about 12 or 15 people on the team that were responsible for spending money and, and negotiating contracts. And so I said, first off, from now on, one of you is going to come with me when I close the books every month with the CFO. Like, I'm tired of going down there by myself and having to justify everything and, and, because these guys just weren't feeling the heat the way I was. And then the second thing I did is I literally opened up the books and I threw them on the table and I said, everybody's here and everybody spends money. Help me figure this out. You know, and they all got serious. Um, now, we didn't say here's how much everybody made, but there was a section that said, here's how much we spend on salary. Here's how much we're spending on this and that. Mm -hmm. And they all, they all just went at it. And I was, I was probably very surprised at how eager they were to want to help and be a part of it because I had felt this sense of it's all on me. I got to do it myself. I can't possibly ask for help here. It would be too embarrassing. I'm the guy they elevated. I'm the guy with the MBA. I, I, I should be the one that knows how to do all this. But I just didn't live in their world and I needed to either get in their world and multiply myself by you know, 12 or 14 times, or I needed to get them in my world. And so when I did that, that's when things really started to change. And I'll never forget, I was in a meeting once and I made the suggestion that we do something outside of what we had discussed. And one of the guys that was in charge of the, that particular budget said, hey, if we do that, that's gonna change the budget. And just so you know, that's gonna increase our price. 
And I remember thinking, wow, like that, that was a really uh, important moment because at that moment, I realized that they got it. Like they were fighting for budgets just as much as I was. And had I not sort of been transparent and, and trusting and, and sort of willing to kind of let them into the process, I don't think we'd ever got there. You wouldn't have had that ownership and buy-in. To- so one of the things that you're talking about, I want to get to, is you're talking about pruning basically your team. Um, and, and I think you're referring to the transparency process kind of leading the pruning of the team. But a lot of times it's, it's, it's not an easy process for a lot of people. So what, how do you recommend to go about that pruning process? Because if you're taking over a team, that doesn't mean you have the right team. It just means you have a team to deal with. Right, right. Well, you know, I'm going to say something that is probably going to be pretty boring and pretty uninspiring to people. And I'm gonna tell you, it was the absolute best thing I did to work on pruning the team and getting them set straight. Um, And that's, I developed core values for our department. So our company had these core values that, you know, hey, we work hard, we we kill our sacred cows, which is a reference to, I think a John Maxwell book about not being stuck doing the same things over and over again, because you always do it. Um, and, And I said, okay, that's great. As a company and as a department in the company, we're gonna we're gonna follow those guidelines and rules. But we're unique in our department, as every department is, and we're gonna develop our own set of core values. And so I developed these core values that were similar. You know, some of them were we use our strengths to lift each other's weaknesses. Meaning that sometimes I'd get Tom in and he would complain about Jill, and Jill would come in and she would complain about Tom. Except they were, you know, talking about their weaknesses, the other person's weaknesses, which happened to be that person's strengths. And so I said, why don't you just do that for Tom? And why don't you just do that for Jill? Like you guys both need each other. Just do that for each other. And so we made it a core value that we use our strengths to lift each other's weaknesses. What happened was they stopped gossiping and they started being empowering. It was one of those true times where you turn a negative into a positive. Um, And they just started helping each other in that regard. Or I'd say, hey, you know what? Um, I have 80% of this all figured out, but 20% of it, I don't have it figured out. Or here's what we do is we don't complain. We don't whine. We step up and we try and solve the problem and ownership and we communicate. And so all that to say, you know, we had about 10 or 12 of those. And when people would come into my office who would be frustrated or they would do something wrong, I'd be like, Hey, we we talk about this every day, every week at every staff meeting or, or meeting we're at, we talk about these core values. That's one of our core values. How are you not making the connection? And so What I'm trying to get out here is I was able to point to that core value constantly when they were behaving in ways they shouldn't and say, it's not like we've been hiding this from you. It's not like you haven't known that this is the way you should act. It's not like you didn't know that you shouldn't do this. Um, It's been right in front of your face. So it really puts the onus back on the person. It takes it off you as a leader when you have those core values or or those guidelines set out. Uh, It takes the onus off you to sort of prove to them because they know what's right and wrong and you've told them over and over again. And so they either have to admit that they were never paying attention or they have to change. And if they don't wanna change and it becomes an easy process for them to move on. And I don't mean to oversimplify it, but I mean, I dealt in oversimplification. Like I worked for a guy who essentially made a hundred million dollar company out of the premise of, hey, live on less than you make. I mean, it couldn't be any more simple, but why is that such a challenge for us Or, or Jenny Craig? you know, consume less calories than you burn. Um, And she's turned that into a billion dollar business herself. And so these common sense principles sometimes 
are difficult, not because they're not, not easy to grasp, but because emotionally um, there has to be a real deep emotional change that has to happen. And that's really hard for leaders and for uh, your team members to kind of grasp and get a hold of sometimes. All right, let's, let's pull on that thread because uh, this is the Bold Idea Podcast and we want to inspire leaders to take bold action where they, where they need to. What do you see are some of the reasons why leaders don't address the issues that they may be seeing in their team the frustrations that they might have with getting things done, um, knowing their team's underperforming but unable to figure out how to change it. What are some of the things that you see that keep them from that? Well, you know, the first thing I see is that, you know, as a leader, you need to remember you're the problem and the solution. Sometimes as leaders, we only see the problems and we don't see ourselves as the solution. Oh, I wish I had the ability to do this. I had to wish I had the ability to change this. Well, you do. You absolutely do. And so just realizing that and acting on it is is step one. I think part of the reason is that a lot of people and a lot of us just don't like conflict. You know, it's not just a black and white area. You've not just walked into a room of people you don't know and you got to tell them to, to sort of shape up. These are people you may have met their wives, you may know their kids, you work with them side by side, day in and day out. For you to then to now have to step up and tell them to change their behavior, sometimes that's very tough and challenging as a leader to do. Um, And so I feel like that's sometimes why we avoid that difficulty. And then another area is that you become somewhat blind to the real issues. You've gotten so close to your team that you don't think anybody else is capable of doing what you do. Um, And so that's also not true. And so you need to realize, hey, what are my goals? Who is, and and step back constantly and say, who is helping me get there? How do I motivate my team to get there? And if they're not, how do I have conversations with them to help them understand that they're sort of limiting and holding us back? And so I feel like this fear of conflict, this fear of fear itself, if, you know, stepping in, if I do fix this, what does that mean for me? Do I have to come up with something new? Does that free up all my time? And now I've got to justify something. You know, I'm very comfortable in this zone, even though it's it's not working, I'm in a very comfortable place. And if I can just complain and blame it on a few others on my team, then I'm kind of I can stay here safe and secure. Um, and so your boss, I promise you, doesn't want you to do that. But I think those are some of the reasons why people fail to take action to sort of move people along or move them act out is they have a fear or they have a comfort or they're just uh, they're too emotionally tied to some people to and, and too unwilling to take that action. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Well, I mean, this is probably a good time to take a pause from this episode and thank our listeners who've supported the Bold Idea Podcast. You are the reason we exist. This is a nonprofit. That means we don't make profit off of doing this. This <laughs> costs money. So if you're the people exactly. out there that are supporting us and donating to us, you're the reason that we've been able to do this for over a year. And we'd love to be able to do this for another year or two and bring on more amazing guests. So we would love your support. If you feel so led, just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate. And thank you again. Okay, so when you run across a business leader who you see is either maybe a conflict avoider or doesn't really, uh, in general, some personalities are more like that, or doesn't want to address a specific situation, how do you coach them in that? <laughs> well, that was me, first off. You know, I'm, I think I'm able to specifically talk to those issues so well is because that was me for the longest time. You know, I wanted people to like me. I, you know, I, was, um, I hated that 
people, I would frustrate people, you know, and I was never doing it on, intentionally. Uh, and so here's what happened. One day I had been working with this fellow and it, it was on a project. And it was like the third or fourth time something had happened where he didn't hit his deadlines and we didn't get get our goals. And it was it was just frustrating. And people were looking at me now going, hey, how come you can't get this done? And this this person and I were really good friends, um, probably one of my better friends in the organization. And I just sat there and I, I didn't know what to do. And it dawned on me, not necessarily dawned on me, but I just wanted to win. I wanted to be successful and I wanted to do it more than I wanted this guy to like me. And so, you know, I just called him in and I said, hey, I've got some troubles here. I just don't understand why we can't, you know, I didn't speak to him personally at all. I didn't say, you know, what have you got going on? It was just like, here was the goal and we didn't hit it. And why didn't we hit it again? And it's making me look bad and I understand what's happening. Um, and then from that, it escalated to me having to write him up and sort of sit with, hey, here's what success looks like for you. And if it doesn't, um, it doesn't happen, you know, in 30 days, these criteria, you know, we're going to have to meet again and just discuss, you know, whether the option is to move on from here with each other. And it wasn't, it wasn't the easiest role. And so doing that for the first time, and I think what help, helped was, you know, I just was one again, just transparent with him. I didn't hide, hold back anything. Hey, I'm frustrated. This is why I don't understand what's going on. And then the second thing I did was I literally put what winning would look like and what it should look like, look like on a piece of paper for us both to look at and go over together. And I think that really helped because that helped give him guidance and it helped give me clarity on what the steps were to move forward. And it sort of took all that emotional stuff out because we were just specifically talking about the issues at hand. And, um, and I will say the, the moment after all of that happened, it just got immensely easier for me to start to deal with that kind of stuff. And I feel like that was the kind of switch that flipped that really started to turn things around. Because then my team saw, hey, I wasn't gonna tolerate this level of inconsistency no matter what, and no matter who was. I mean, this guy was clearly the closest person on my team to me. And if I wasn't gonna let him slide, then they weren't gonna be let slide. Or I wasn't gonna let them slide either. Yeah, so it seems like there's almost this tension between that kind of accountability, which I agree is important for a team to know that everybody's being held to that same level of expectation. And also maybe this this Christian value that we hold, I think many of us hold, that you know everybody has some uh, reconciliation that they can do. They have some redemption that they can do. They can get better at what they're at. And so we want to invest in people to help them move along and be successful and, and do all that. But at some point in time, you, you have to decide whether that's a, a, a winning or a losing proposition. How do you balance that? You know, fortunately for me and for most all of us out there, we all have our own set of guidelines and goals that we're trying to achieve. And so I balance it at first with, you know, am I achieving this? Am I, on the, am I heading in the right direction? Are we heading at the right pace? And am I doing it the right way? Um, you know, I want to... I want to make sure that I give everybody an equal opportunity. I'll tell you a story. When I first got hired, um, one of my first things that I ended up, first person that I ended up hiring was a new assistant for me. And she came in and after about two months, I was just frustrated. And I said, uh, I went to my boss and said, hey, she's not working out. And uh, I think it's time for her to move on. And he said, well, tell me what's, what's up. And I, and I explained, you know, I give her projects to do. And she sends me like a long list of paragraphs and emails asking me for more information. And ultimately I end up feel like I'm doing all the work. Um, 
And so I should just do it myself. And it's frustrating because I really heard just, need her just to do it. And uh, he looked at me and he said, you know what? You're the problem. She isn't. You're not giving her the information she needs from the start. <clears throat> and I was kind of blown away, honestly, by that answer. Mm. Like, how could I be the problem? I just explained it all to you. And um, he said, go back and, and give her more information at the start and tell her you want to meet her halfway on projects and that she then has to take some ownership of stuff and, and take it from there. So I, I sat down with her and said, look, this isn't working out, but here's what I want to try. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you more information at the start, not lots, but just more than I'm giving you. And I'm sort of a bullet guy, you know, just give me the bullets mm -hmm. uh, versus some of the people out there are just, you know, they want loads and loads of information. And I said, if you'll take that and meet me halfway and say, okay, that's more information. That's a, you know, twice as much as you've been giving me. I'll take it from here and we'll run with it. Um, it was amazing. I mean, the, the work relationship we developed was incredible and we got so many things done. And I started bringing her in at the start of projects then so she could even just sit in the meetings as we, as we started to concept what we wanted to do. So she got sort of the backbone of what it is we were trying to achieve and she ran with it. And I remember thinking to myself, the lesson here is, I could have let her go after two months thinking it was all her fault when ultimately it was my fault. And so moving forward, I started taking care with how I communicated to people, helping them understand, do you have everything from me you need? I want you to go back to your desk and send me an email about what you heard me ask you to do. And, and when they made a mistake, putting my arm around them and saying, hey, let me just walk you through where you could, have, you could have run that meeting better, what you could have done that would have changed this whole situation. And so investing in the time is what I discovered is I poured in my time into my people, they poured into my customers, they poured into the people we were trying to help. And when I didn't do that, there was a sense of fear and frustration that crept in. And so in, in essence, the question you asked is like, how do you, how do, you do this in sort of in a faithful way? And, and, and sort of that's the loving spirit. You know, Jesus walked with his disciples. He didn't, he didn't sit in that upper room and send them out and say, come back and report to me. He got out of that office and he walked on the street with them. And that's exactly what I like to think I did is when we traveled, I traveled with them. When we had heavy stuff that needed to be done in the warehouse, I went back there and did it with them. And, you know, I walked with them through this entire process. And when there was lessons to be learned, I talked with them through it. Um, and I think that's ultimately the best way because the team saw that I was going to work as hard with them, sort of where they were at. And that built a trust and a desire for them to want to succeed with me and for me um, rather than just doing it because it was their job. There's something that you said I, 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 I really liked, and I want to process that with you. You said that diversity will make your company more money. So how does someone go about building a diverse team, especially in specific areas of the country where diversity is the last thing that they even have access to? Well, you know, I'll tell you, diversity for me isn't just uh, sort of ethnically based. It's gender based. And I looked around at one point and my team was thriving and I had three women in leadership. And, uh, you know, especially in light of the situations that we're kind of going through in our country today with the genders and the Me Too kind of stuff, which is, is certainly different, but also plays into the part of how women have been treated in the workplace overall. Uh, it always surprised me when I hear stories of women are paid as much or they're not given as much opportunity. Um, because in my mind, it's crazy to think that I would eliminate 50% of the population from leadership or the ability to help us succeed simply based on gender. Um, and, you know, maybe strike it up to the fact that I was raised by a single mom um, who was tough and strong, but the idea that you would eliminate that, that kind of quality um, 
and talent from your workforce is, is ridiculous or from the opportunity to be in leadership. And so, you know, I feel like when you add different genders or different ethnicities, they bring a different point of view. Meaning that if if I'm a Democrat and you're a Democrat, it's not really, you don't put a lot of effort into convincing me or working through projects because we think the same. But if I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat, we're gonna come at it with a, a much more passion, much more um, qualified work. We're gonna put a little bit extra effort into how we're gonna build something and convince you that something is this or that. And so I feel like it's the same way when you bring different ethnicities together. They come from a different background, a different understanding, and they bring ideas and things to the table that you, one, probably didn't think about. And two, your team and their team are, are together. You, we come together and essentially have different perspectives and we work harder to understand the bottom line of the issues. And as a result of that, we develop a better product and a, and a better sense about what we need to do and what we need to achieve. And bringing that level of diversity and those different ideas to the table ultimately brings greatness versus just creating the same thing over and over again because everybody in the company thinks the same and acts the same. There's not much challenge to the work you are doing. Yeah, I completely so, agree with that. What's the one characteristic you just, you suggest that anybody who is hiring someone for their bold idea should look for? Personality. What does that mean? <laughs> well, so there's in the movie, one of my favorite movies is Miracle. Um, and it's about the 1980s hockey team, um, gold medal hockey team where they beat the Russians yep. uh, starring Kurt Russell. And there's a scene in it where they're having these tryouts and they bring in all the best hockey players from around the country. And the coach, Herb Brooks, says, I already got my team picked. And the assistant coach says, we haven't even done the tryout yet. And he said, these aren't even the best players. And Herb Brooks looked back at him and says, we're not looking for the best players. We're looking for the right players. Mm. And that's such an easy statement to say. But I have found in my experience, it's such a very difficult situation to bring forth, meaning that we say it, but then we don't ultimately do it. And so I feel like the reason some of my teams have been successful is I want you to be talented. I want you to fit with the culture. I want you to sort of have some of the same beliefs that I have and think about. But then the fourth sort of intrinsic component is, do I like you and want to hang out with you? Because um, I'm possibly going to spend the next 10 years of my life together. And so some people out there will say, well, that seems ridiculous. You know, we just need talented people who are qualified and, and sort of get out of their way. You don't have to be friends with the people you work with. To which I say, you know, being friends with the people you work with is sometimes a challenge, as I mentioned earlier, but it's also awesome. You know, I lay in bed at Sunday and look forward to getting up on Monday and getting into work because I, I get to see all my friends again. And we have so much fun together. And, you know, I had this guy call once. We were looking for this uh, person that was going to be uh, an event producer and he was going to come in and sort of set up venues and travel around the country. And so this guy had applied and he worked at a, at a large organization and they had had uh, hosted a presidential um, debate and he had an MBA and he had spent 10 years in the industry. I mean, on paper, this guy looked like gold. And so I called him up and did a quick little uh, phone interview with him, which I like to do because sometimes you can weed out about 60% of your candidates just on the phone in 10 minutes. And I said, so uh, tell me exactly why you want to work here. And he said, well, did you not read my cover letter? <laughs> And I remember being blown away because here's this opportunity for us to, to sort of talk and walk through and that's such an easy question to answer. And he just kind of uh, put it back on me as if you know he had done everything he needed to do. And you know, it was all on me now just to read his letter and figure everything else out. And you know, in a sense, I knew right away that we weren't gonna work well together. 
And so just because he was he looked good on paper didn't necessarily mean he was going to fit on the team, mm-hmm. you know. And he may have worked great um, in another organization, and obviously had there. But on my team, I was looking for the right players. And I feel like as we hire, uh, whether we're in a church or whether you're in an organization, you need to be looking for people who aren't just talented but passionate and and someone who is equally as excited to work on what you do, but someone that you're interested in exciting and working alongside, especially for a long, long time. And I feel like that component is often overlooked and uh, it really shouldn't be. Hmm. Well, how can our listeners find out more about uh, your book and how to get a hold of you? Well, they can visit chrismefford.com or they could just send me an email at chris at chrismefford.com. And, uh, you know, that doesn't go to sort of my imaginary sort of server. It just comes right to my computer and I answer all those emails. And so I'm always happy to help and, uh, and, you know, give coaching or or do whatever it takes. Just answer questions. I'm happy to do that. That's uh, great. Well, we'll have the links to that in our podcast show notes, but uh, Chris, let's ask this question of you. What's the next bold idea for you? You know, I think that um, my next bold idea is to sort of get these ideas and concepts into the people's hands, especially into churches um, and into organizations who need to be turned around. Like if you're in an organization where you show up every day and you hate your job or you think your boss hates you or, or you're a boss and you're not happy with your team, I really want you to think hard about how you can change that culture and that idea. And so changing the culture of, of these organiz- organizations from the inside out is what I'm most passionate about. And I wanna help as many people as I can achieve that because I think it's a, a travesty that when you ask most people about their jobs, they often t- tell you that they're just not happy or they hate them. And, uh, and I'm sort of passionate about helping people figure out how to not make that happen. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a topic passion- that we're passionate about. That's why we just did a podcast uh, two weeks ago on that, in fact. Chris, thanks so much for uh, being on the Bold Idea Podcast. Sure was good to talk to you today. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, that was Chris Mefford, guy we just met, but uh, I think he's got just this engaging personality. That he does. He's a great talker. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell why he's in marketing. Yeah, he's a, he's a marketing guy. But, you know, I, I appreciated a number of things about what he said that I think um, I took notes of. If we're going to implement our own bold idea, whether we serve as a leader of a team or on a team, I think one of the things that was the hallmark of at least our conversation with Chris was his whole idea of this transparency thing. And we've talked yeah. about this over and over again. Sure, yeah. But it does make a huge difference with a leader to just basically not feel like you're politicizing stuff. You're, you know, that that they're seeing genuinely who you are, and most of it is to admit that you know you've got some weaknesses because yeah. we don't have strengths in every area. Right. And uh, I loved that he had opened up the budget for everybody to just say, "Hey, okay, this is the thing that otherwise I would feel like I need to own, but I'm going to just put it out there," and and uh, that everybody took to that and. And took ownership with that because yeah. that that's one and that's an area that I'd probably preserve for myself. You know, the budget that's what the leader does. You don't expose that to the team. You know, right. there's so, but <laughs> the, I think there's some real wisdom in what he did, and I think it bore the fruit that he was looking for. And sometimes it just takes a catalytic event like that. You know, mm-hmm. just a it's symbolic if nothing else to say, look, I'm not trying to hide anything from you guys. We're working on this together as a team, and really if we're going to lead in a bold way with a bold team, we need to demonstrate that we're willing to serve them. Our job as a leader is to find ways to get resources so they can accomplish what they need to do. Some of those resources are to have the right team. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, so 
can't do much without the right team. I feel like if you have the wrong team, you make more backwards progress than you make forwards progress. Yeah. And I've, and I've been the wrong team member before. Yeah. So I think the big principle for me is I listen to Chris. I don't think he articulated it this way, but the, the takeaway for me is when you have a sense that there's something not right about your team, start with you. Right. And, and look at look at yourself. Because, I mean, he shared that story about um, how he contributed to – the underperformance of the individual on his team right? Uh, unwittingly, you know, and he had to become aware. Uh, so I think recognizing and starting with how I might be contributing to the performance or lack thereof yeah. that I'm getting from my team, starting with you. I think that's a key. Yeah. Thing. Cause you're, you're at, I mean, one of the things that even if you do any kind of search or talk to most corporate coaches or consultants in terms of, hiring uh, i think one of the most common uh themes that you'll hear them talk about other than talents and skills or experience is going to be culture yeah right so like culture fit yes and whatever else that comes along with that but at the end of the day the person that really defines culture is the person leading it right like everything leaks from the head down and I, i think there's this weird I don't, I don't know what to call it, but there's this weird disconnection of a lot of times with leaders of the culture that they actually create versus the culture they think they created. I don't know if that makes sense because mm-hmm. they have, they have this idea that they created this culture of like transparency and open dialogue and let's have conflict. But in reality, that's not at all what the team feels. It's just what they think it is because of the conversations they have. But more often it's this backbiting, gossiping, just, tense weird awkward untrusting scenarios but that's because they want everyone else to be transferred exactly (laughs) exactly yeah that's right that's right it's it's funny right we want want to define the rules for everybody else yeah just not ourselves it's not ourselves that's why that's start with us so that's kind of principle number one now i'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit oh gosh here we go okay so do you remember when he was talking about his team that was relatively broken mm-hmm. relatively broken that mm-hmm. is there's other people other other sure. organizations that were hiring <laughs> replacement people so they wouldn't have to work with this yeah, team yeah. all right <laughs> what was the first thing he had them work on i don't even remember it was their values remember that oh yeah he had to change the values yeah, he, he had, had, to, to make, had well, them all work on their values yeah he had to make values that was uh specific to their department not just the company right yeah. i'm gonna have a little segue with armin here for the for our listening audience because he and i have been talking about the Grand Paths of Change by Will McWinney. And there are two grand paths. There's a revitalization path and there's a renaissance, renaissance path. Yeah. <laughs> and most of us go through the revitalization, which is an optimization path, which says you didn't do something. Here's how you deviated from it. And here's what we want you to do and go back and do it. But the renaissance path starts with values. Yeah. So he took a renaissance path to transforming that team funny i didn't even connect those dots and it was just amazing just to listen to him talk about it and and if you if you know those two grand paths of change uh that's exactly what uh what he did he took a renaissance huh. path to g- taking it through it and it, and as he talked about the rest of the story it all lined up it that's took the, funny. the same path yeah we just spent an fun. hour talking about this last night in the ceo exactly led by larry that's so funny i didn't even catch that yeah i didn't connect right those there dots at all. it's like right with right with our uh right with our interviewee you know it's like uh yeah that's what exactly what he did and, crazy uh, so that's uh so start start with yourself as a leader 
and then look at how you can instill those values first. I think yeah. that's really key. If you've got a team that needs transformation, start at the values level yeah, and then move from the values to establishing the vision of what you're trying to accomplish. Then you can set the measures. Yeah. But most of us want to move right into measures and talk about how the team is not uh, aligning up to what it needs to be done. And so uh, that's a, that's a real different transformational thing. You know, one of the funny things is that uh, one of his values is diversity, but it wasn't one of the values he listed when he was talking about, we had to define our values. And a lot of times I, I, I think that's something a lot of people want, but they don't see it as a value to the organization or one of their own core values. Yeah, or it could be, he didn't list it because it's an implied value. It's already present in the organization and it's not, uh, it's not consciously aware of them to need to work on it. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes when you talk about, let's have the values discussion. Yeah. People don't often see what they're already valuing. They see what they want to value. So those are the things that come out. It's the thing that's missing. It's we the thing that's missing. That yeah. You but know. then eventually if you, <laughs> it might be the thing that's missing because it's not listed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hard to say on yeah. that one. But, uh, you know, the, the thing about the diversity discussion, I think he's spot on, you know, that having uh, not only ethnic diversity, I would say gender and age diversity and a number of other kinds of diversity as well, including temperament type mm -hmm. diversity, you yeah. know, people with different kinds of, is because God has made each of us uh, as uh, just a sliver of the whole prism of, mm -hmm. of light really that, uh, that we might have. So we, yeah. we're just a small slice of the spectrum. And to think that if we get everybody who's, you know, in the, in the violet spectrum yeah. and we all look alike, you know, everything is going to be blue, you know, or violet, you know, <laughs> but if we can get people from, I don't know if I should use the word rainbow <laughs> across the whole rainbow, <laughs> you know, we open up the lens to, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We open up the lens <laughs> A little bit. And, and we actually stop making uh, everybody else in our image. Yeah. You know, we start to see that, hey, we can actually uh, embrace a, a bigger uh, view of the world as God does. Spot on. I love it. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing uh, that I, I picked out of here was that I thought uh, I really liked when he said, I'd like to be able to get up on Monday morning and get excited about going into work. Uh, because of the people that I'm working with. Mm. And to me, that's, that's kind of like a, a clue, you know, is that true for you? And if it's not true for you, maybe you need to start back at step one. What might you do to help make your team a more enjoyable team to work with? Yeah. Is it a team that gives you energy or is it a team that sucks your energy? Exactly. Yeah, that's good. Well, listen, this is all the time we got. If this is good for you and you enjoyed this, you can find our show notes at boldideapodcast.com forward slash five six. Because this is our 56th episode, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas or suggestions uh, on our social media feeds, or you can call us on our show line at 612-568-IDEA, 612-568-4332. Would love to hear your thoughts on our show as well. If you would, leave us a review at boldideapodcast.com forward slash review. And if you want, sign up for our blog at boldideapodcast.com. And please help us spread the word by telling your friends about the Bold Idea Podcast because the more of you we have, the better the show gets. So thank you for joining us today. As of now, this is Armin Asadi. And Larry Gates. Saying farewell. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.